0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up, President Joe Biden is in the United Kingdom for a meeting of the G7. What tops the priority list for the three-day summit? Climate change, the coronavirus, and the economy. After touching down yesterday in the U.K. for what is his first overseas trip, President Biden spoke to Air Force personnel at Royal Air uh, Midland Hall about the greatest threat facing America. When I first was elected vice president with President Obama, the military sat us down to let us know what the greatest threats facing America were, the greatest physical threats. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was? Global warming. We'll talk about it with Charlie Spearing, White House correspondent for Breitbart News. Then we'll get a report from Congressman Chip Roy of Texas, uh, a member of the House Judiciary Committee. Today, the House holding a oversight hearing with FBI Director Christopher Wray, who said there is more to come from the investigation into the January 6th Capitol riot. And Colorado Congressman Doug Lamborn joins us with the latest on the effort to reinstate the Space Force commander who was fired when he expressed concern about critical race theory and how it was infiltrating our nation's military. And speaking of critical race theory, it's not just the military uh, that is battling it. So are Southern Baptists. Mike Stone, a Southern Baptist pastor and a candidate for the presidency of the Southern Baptist Convention, joins me with a look at what next week's SBC convention may look like. Finally, under scrutiny, For his duplicitous comments surrounding the coronavirus, Dr. Anthony Fauci told MSNBC's Chuck Todd. So if you are trying to, you know, get at me as a public health official and a scientist, you're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony Fauci, you're attacking science. So to uh, question Dr. Fauci is to question science. We'll talk about it with Dr. Angie Farella pediatric medical doctor, uh, director, rather, for the American Frontline Doctor. She'll also tell us about how the gloves are coming off since the mask or not. Lawsuits are being filed to stop mandatory masking. Also, we'll get her to weigh in on a new study that shows those who have had the coronavirus do not benefit from the vaccine. All of that and more on this edition of Washington. Watch the website, TonyPerkins.com, if you're on the free speech platform of parlor. It's at Tony underscore Perkins. All right, just a little more than a week after saying terrorism from white supremacy is, quote, the most lethal threat facing the United States, President Biden yesterday pushed the claim that the greatest threat facing America is climate change. Maybe it's because he had climate on his mind ahead of the coming G- G7 summit. But Here's what he, as I mentioned, what he told the U.S. Air Force personnel. Uh, I'm going to play this clip for you again. Listen. When I first was elected vice president with President Obama, the military sat us down to let us know what the greatest threats facing America were, the greatest physical threats. This is not a joke. You know what the Joint Chiefs told us the greatest threat facing America was?
1: global
0: warming. Just said it, you wouldn't believe it, but you saw it for yourself. You heard it. With me now to talk about this, Charlie Spearing, White House correspondent with Breitbart News. Charlie, welcome to Washington Watch.
2: Hey, Tony, thanks for having me.
0: So it's no joke. Uh, The president thinks uh, global warming is the greatest threat facing America.
2: Yeah, we all know that the president loves his uh, proletariat. We saw this throughout his entire career, and even more recently when he spoke to Tulsa, he called, you know, white supremacy and the threat posed by white supremacy is the number one threat. So it's definitely a theme that that, but it's definitely a theme that Democrats have liked since 2009. They really liked this idea. They really pushed this idea, and it first it first came up in the Pentagon in 2009 under Obama. The Pentagon proposed this idea. That, that global warming was a threat that they needed to prepare for. And Democrats really ran with that idea. And that was back when, you know, senators had the majorities in, in both houses of Congress. So it was a way for the Pentagon to say, hey, we're still relevant. It's important to still fund us because we are actively taking this challenge seriously.
0: Well, that would be in keeping with his uh, climate czar, his, uh, his hot hair czar, uh, John Kerry who, uh, you know, back in 2014 said climate change can now be considered the world's largest weapon of mass destruction, perhaps even the world's most fearsome weapon of mass destruction. Do they really believe this stuff?
2: Well, certainly John Kerry has. He's been leading on this issue for a long time, and it's really... 2014, and, and he he's brought in to, to re rehabilitate this idea as the climate czar, very much part of the summit, and so it'll be very much part of the G7. Biden really thinks that you know global warming is the biggest threat, and so we're going to see that going forward in the next couple of days as they go through the summit together.
0: Uh, Charlie, final question for you. Um, How how might statements like this uh, influence our nation's military when they hear from the commander-in-chief that the weather is our biggest threat?
2: Well, really, everyone should be thanking President Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump, because back when Obama was in power, when Biden was the vice president, it was much more clear what the biggest threat was, right? It was ISIS. It was terrorism. It was really the biggest threat. Even though you had Democrats continuing to talk about global warming, um, we should be thankful that President Trump took out ISIS, and Christians everywhere should be thankful that ISIS is... ...previously in the White House. And I think going forward, I think the, the, if this is the new talking point from the Democrats. I think that as long as they can maintain this level of peace, I think that we should be, all be quite satisfied to to enjoy this relative period of peace that was really a part of what President Donald Trump gave to us.
0: Uh, I think you're right. Uh, Charlie Spearing, thanks, thanks so much for uh, joining us. Great to talk with you.
2: You bet. Anytime, Tony. You know,
0: a good point. We're enjoying the benefits of the 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 economy because of the economic uh, policies of the Trump administration. I mean, we um, we, in fact, they've got the ability to give away all of this money because we had a strong economy going into this because of uh, Donald Trump. We have, you know, unfortunately, what they what they have, the Biden administration has the. the luxury, if you will, of uh, playing these make-believe games about the greatest threats because we do have a strong military. He was able to rebuild the military after eight years of depletion by the Obama administration and the Democrats. Uh, so, you know, it, it's really fascinating. If you look at the history of this, you have the, the Republicans will come in after the Democrats. They will rebuild our nation's military, you know, going back to Ronald Reagan, In fact, that's when I went into the uh, the Marine Corps during uh, Reagan's presidency. They put a lot of emphasis on the military, rebuild it. The Democrats come in, have the luxury of playing these games, uh, you know, all of like focused on critical race theory, focused on the transgender ideology, um, focused on global warming, all of these things that do nothing to make our nation stronger or to put us in a position of greater defense it's uh check it out look at the history all right today on uh, capitol hill uh, the fbi director christopher ray had a had an oversight there was an oversight hearing of the house judiciary committee uh, and in that hearing the fbi director said there's still more to come uh, when it Uh, pertaining to the investigation into the January 6th riot. Joining me now to uh, talk about this, Congressman Chip Roy, who represents the 21st Congressional District of Texas. He serves as a member on the House Judiciary Committee. Congressman, welcome back to the program.
1: Tony, great to be on. I hope you're well.
0: Uh, Doing quite well, thank you. Uh, Any surprises from the testimony today Uh of the FBI director?
1: Well, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure I go as far as, say, surprises, but it's kind of, you know, it's, it, a lot of more the same in terms of, you know, not being uh, all that uh, aggressive and giving us answers about where he's going to go. Um, you know, whether we're talking about border security, I question him hard on that and the cartels and the danger in there. It's like, I understand the DEA and DHS has jurisdiction, but so does the FBI when it comes to dealing with the violent crime and the drugs and narcotics. And, uh, you know, and when it comes to the issue you outlined about January 6th, I ask a series of questions about the 500 arrests that have been made uh, of American citizens and wanting to know uh, the background of these, why who's being uh, pursued and why. And, uh, you know, the, the director said something about sort of three categories of individuals, those who are there peaceably uh, and then there's you know, those that may be. Crossed the line or two, and then those that were engaged in, you know, damaging property or injuring cops, etc. And that's that's fair enough. Uh, but that middle category is are the are the people I'm really concerned about. Is how much are they going after someone who stood over the line of a barricade or whatever? And I think we deserve answers. And so I've tried to press the director to commit to a briefing. He hides a little bit behind ongoing investigation, but that's bogus for Congress and he can give us a briefing of what's going on and and he should.
0: Uh, do you expect to hear more from him?
1: Well, we'll follow up. You know, Senator I mean I'm sorry, Congressman Massey from Kentucky and I sent a letter about a month ago to the Attorney General and we're gonna press that as well. Obviously, when we get the attorney general from the committee, we'll be even more aggressive on it. We're going to press them. I think they ought to, there ought to be a briefing. My request was for a bipartisan briefing to members of Congress, not just the Judiciary Committee, in which they come forward and explain who are they, you know, who they, who, do, who have they arrested, who are they prosecuting, why, you know, what pressure's been put on AUSA's, does any pressure come down from the White House, you know, how does that compare to what they did in Portland, uh, you know, that kind of thing. We'll keep pressing for answers.
0: Uh, The good questions to ask. Speaking of uh, correspondence, you sent a memorandum yesterday to the vice president regarding what is happening on the border. Explain that to our uh, our listeners.
1: Yeah, well, obviously, those who are listening are well versed in knowing that uh, Vice President Kamala Harris has been uh, traveling. She went to Guatemala. She went to Mexico uh, but where she has not been is the southern border of the United States. She's not been to Laredo. She's not been to McAllen. She hasn't been to El Paso. She hasn't been anywhere where we're seeing massive impacts on the people of Texas and our country with narcotics, fentanyl, uh, you know, human trafficking, cartels, uh, 700,000 apprehensions in the first part of the year. So uh, I've been challenging the vice president to a debate. She's so far uh, not uh, agreed or she's not responded uh, obviously she's not been to the border but I don't want her to hide behind the fact that one day she'll probably will eventually go to the border that's not enough I mean, we need to actually identify the, 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 what's going on the truth what's happening so I wrote a memo a 10 page memo where I articulated based on my conversation with ranchers in Texas with citizens in Texas people and families that have been impacted uh, with border patrol with uh, DPS that's the Department of Public Safety in Texas um, I have conversations every day, every single day with Texans who are irate about what's happening on their board.
0: Uh, you hear that music, uh, Congressman, means we're out of time. Um, if you don't mind, what I'll do is I'll post your memo uh, on our uh, on my website, So our listeners uh, well, can actually look for, look at it for themselves as you lay okay. out specific solutions to the crisis on the border. And I think you make an extremely good point. It's hard to fix a problem if you won't look at it, and she needs to go to the border. Congressman, thanks so much for joining us. As always, great to talk with you. You too. Congressman Chip Roy of uh, Texas, and and I'll try to get that up on my uh, website so you can uh, take a look at it. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Congressman Doug Lamborn of Colorado. He's uh, out fighting for the space commander who was relieved of his command because he challenged critical race theory. That's next.
3: What is Roe v Wade and what did it do? The Supreme Court's 1973 decision ruled that abortion is protected under the. US Constitution, striking down many state abortion restrictions and severely limiting the extent to which states could write their own abortion laws. The Supreme Court's limitations on states to legislate abortion restrictions depends on the trimester of a pregnancy. For instance, Roe disallows states from restricting abortions in the first trimester, but allows some restrictions on abortions in the third trimester. What Roe doesn't do is require states to have any restrictions. Abortion through all nine months of pregnancy is the default unless Congress or the individual states pass laws restricting it. That leaves a lot of room for unrestricted abortions. For a full explanation of how Roe versus Wade liberalized abortion laws, Go to frc.org slash explainer. That's frc.org slash explainer. After the recent wave of media censorship, are you struggling to find a conservative, relevant, and Christian platform where you can find out what's really going on? Here at Family Research Council, we believe that Americans have a right to exercise their freedom of speech and share their stories with the world. If you're ready to hear the facts that the left doesn't want you to know about, Then head over to FRCblog.com to check out our latest blog posts. We cover a wide range of issues you and your family care about, all written by our policy, government affairs, and biblical worldview experts. We discuss topics that other media platforms won't, like changes in pro-life policy, current events that affect Christians internationally, sexuality from a biblical perspective, and insights into the bigger picture of the shift in American culture. To stay up-to-date on current news related to faith, family, and freedom, visit frcblog.com. That's frcblog.com.
4: Would you like to spend more time in God's Word? Then join Family Research Council on an exciting journey through the Bible with their Stand on the Word Bible Reading Plan. FRC's two-year Bible Reading Plan helps you to approach daily Bible reading with an intentional focus of diving deeper into the nature of God and how his word speaks into cultural issues. By studying the Bible, we can see the grandeur of God unfold throughout the past. This reading plan takes you through the Bible as events happen in history. Laying out the scripture every day in an engaging manner, it is key to helping us stay grounded in God's truth. All wisdom comes from God and he has given us the Bible as a way to understand the world. Start reading today with Family Research Council. When you sign up, we text you every Sunday with daily passages and questions that help prepare you for conversations with your friends and family. To begin this journey, visit frc.org slash Bible.
0: Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins. The website, TonyPerkins.com. All right, Republicans on Capitol Hill are engaging on a number of fronts to stop the infiltration of divisive anti-racism training in our nation's military. On Tuesday, Congressman Buddy Carter of Georgia introduced a bill to direct the Secretary of Defense to issue guidance prohibiting race-based education and training in our armed forces. On Wednesday, Congressman Mike Waltz of Florida sent a follow-up letter to the superintendent of West Point asking for more details on the lessons on critical race theory that cadets are being taught at our nation's top military academy. And on, uh, and Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas is encouraging military members to actually reach out to him if they're being taught that the military is a systematically racist institution, that America is a fundamentally racist country, that any race of Americans is inherently an oppressor or victim. And that's a quote. Also uh, making an effort is Congressman Doug Lamborn of uh, Colorado, who is working to reinstate the Space Force commander, Lieutenant Colonel Matthew Lohmeyer, who was removed from his post last month for simply expressing concern about the proliferation of critical race theory training throughout our nation's military. Joining us now, With an update is uh, Congressman Lamborn. Doug, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's always good to be with you. All right. You've been uh, I I like what you do, Doug. You uh, you take on some of these uh, these issues, especially where it comes to freedom of speech, freedom of religion. And and you're on them like a pit bull. You've been uh, you've met with uh, the lieutenant colonel. You've been speaking to military commanders. Bring our our viewers, our listeners up to date.
5: Well, unfortunately, he was relieved of his command for speaking out against critical race theory. And he, uh, there is an investigation going on right now, and it could have serious consequences for his future in the military. I'm really concerned because of two reasons, Tony. One is there seems to be a double standard here. Uh, He thought he was serving his country by pointing out extremism on the left side of the political spectrum. Whereas there are some people, and these might be Joe Biden appointees in the Pentagon, who seem to me to only believe that extremism is on the right side of the political spectrum. And that's really concerning because it's not a one way street. Extremism should be criticized and exposed wherever it comes from, not just on the right. And yeah. I have a second concern we can talk about in just a minute. Well, I,
0: I'm, I'm grateful for you and your colleagues that are raising this issue. I mean, t- uh, 23 uh, of uh, your colleagues sent uh, a letter to the acting secretary uh, regarding this particular case. But, but I also think that it would be instructive for these military officers who you know, whatever whatever reason in this Biden administration want to lean left and they're violating fundamental freedoms of speech. And, and we're also seeing in other cases freedom of religion that these general officers, if they stick around and they make their way up, it's actually the Congress. It's the Senate that confirms these uh, these flag officers. And you know what? The pendulum's going to shift back and we're going to move back to a constitutional base basis where we look at things through the lenses of the Constitution, uh, not through uh, radical Marxist theory that the present majority uses.
5: Well, that's all right. That, that, that's right, Tony. And some of this seems to be accelerating under, uh, uh, under Joe Biden, unfortunately. And something that is concerning to me, Tony, is we have people who are at high levels in the military who are saying very controversial things on their official Twitters, uh, Twitter feeds. For instance, uh, uh, Tucker Carlson was criticized when he made some flippant remarks about uniforms for pregnant women who were fighter pilots or something like that. And people just really came down on him like a ton of bricks, officially speaking. Well, is that political or not? Uh, it's just as political, in my opinion, as criticizing Matthew Lohmeyer, Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer, for speaking out on a podcast, not in uniform, and making it clear these were his personal views. And yet he's the one who's criticized for being political, not other high elected, uh, high officials within the military.
0: Now, you met with uh, Lieutenant Colonel Lohmeyer.
5: Um, h- how is he doing? Uh He is an outstanding young man. He's the kind of leader we want for our military. Yeah, I met with him, Tony, in my office on Monday, and he is bearing up real well. I think he, uh, my understanding is he has a strong faith. I don't know him extremely well, but I think he's the kind of person we want to keep in the military and not drive out of the military. And, And that's my main concern here, Tony. If we let critical race theory, the 1619 Project, some of these other poisonous and destructive teachings take hold in our military, which teaches that our country is irredeemably flawed and can never be fixed and is um, the, the race conflict is here forever and our country was not founded on good principles, who's going to want to defend that? Who's going to want to lay down their lives and sacrifice and give years and years of their life or possibly even make the ultimate sacrifice if called upon for something, for a country that is so flawed. That's what really concerns me about critical race theory and these other treacherous teachings.
0: An extremely important point to ponder, uh, because I think you are absolutely right. You're you're hitting the target on this. Uh, One final question for you, Congressman Doug Lamborn. Uh, Can our listeners, our viewers, do anything to help?
5: I think that they can speak out, let their senators, let their representatives know that the federal government should not be taking sides in this. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like there's a conflict in our society. And we, we have uh, the extreme lefts, the progressives speaking out on critical race theory, trying to make that the mainstream thought of our country. And we should not have the federal government taking sides in this and certainly not supporting something that that is so, in my opinion, so destructive. So they should be letting their elected officials at the federal level know and also be watching at their local level school boards, Uh, be watching at the state level uh, school policy for their states. Every level, local, state and federal is going to be hit with this, Tony, and is being hit right now.
0: You're absolutely right. And that's exactly what we're encouraging our folks to do. Uh, Doug, always great to talk with you. Thanks for stopping by today. Thank you, Tony. All right. Congressman Doug Lamborn of Colorado, Colorado Springs, being his home. Great guy. I've known him for years. Uh, Fights for the things we believe in. All right. Coming up next, critical race theory. It's not just in the government. It's not just in our schools, but in our churches. We're going to be talking about uh, one pastor who is uh, working within the Southern Baptist Convention to make sure it does not get a foothold. We'll be joined by Pastor Stone on the next uh, after the break. So don't go away. Next segment.
3: Where do you get your news? Do you have confidence you're getting the full truth? If you want to stay up to date on conservative news and are looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged, then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up-to-date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent radio programs, social media posts, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Stay informed with a trusted source. Again, search Stand Firm to download the Stand Firm app.
6: As the political and cultural landscape of our nation has shifted in a concerning direction, it is so important for Christians to be equipped with biblical answers for the difficult questions of our time. That is why Family Research Council created our Biblical Worldview series. With the political left changing definitions to favor their narrative and to push their agenda, at times it can be hard to decipher what is true. That is why we must hold to the truth of the Bible, which stands the test of time. It holds the truth that does not change. Become equipped to stand firm in the face of cultural and political storms with FRC's Biblical Worldview series. This series dives deep into what the Bible says about some of the most crucial issues of our day. You'll learn what the Bible teaches on abortion, same-sex marriage, the separation of church and state, religious freedom, and the age-old question, should Christians be involved in politics? To access this series, visit frc.org worldview. That's frc.org worldview.
0: Welcome back. I am Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch. Now, on this program, uh, we've highlighted the pushback that we're seeing across the nation against the uh, divisive uh, teachings of critical race theory. It's it's dividing the races. We've seen it in our schools, state legislatures, in the military, uh, as we just discussed in the last segment. One area that we've also been talking about is in the area of the church, and we're hoping to see more pushback there because it's incompatible with the the gospel. Well, next week, the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Protestant denomination in the United States, will hold its annual meeting in Nashville, Tennessee. And my next guest, together with more than 50 other pastors, will be submitting a resolution on the incompatibility of critical race theory and intersectionality with the Baptist Faith and Message which is the denomination's Confession of Faith. With me now to talk about the uh, proposed resolution is Pastor Mike Stone. He pastors Emanuel Baptist Church in uh, Blackshear, Georgia. He's spearheading the effort. He also is a uh, candidate for presidency of the SBC. Uh, uh, Mike, welcome to the program. Tony, it's a joy to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Before I get into that topic, some breaking news that I I just got coming into the the newsroom, uh, some secretly recorded audio. Uh, uh and, and this is kind of amazing to me, but it's out there on the Twitter. It's all over Twitter, uh, of you and Dr. Ronnie Floyd, who's the president of Southern Baptist, uh, executive committee, uh, two different meetings. Uh, and this was revealed by a self-proclaimed whistleblower, uh, who alleged that they, that, uh, you guys tried to put the brakes on SBC action on sexual abuse. I, I want to give you a chance to address that before we uh, jump into the critical race theory.
7: Well, you you rightly indicate one of the problems you have is this was a confidential meeting, and one of the primary participants in it was at the time the vice president of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. One of Russell Moore's uh, associates and one of his closest friends uh, secretly recorded that meeting, which is a strange action for somebody who is an ethicist. But at the end of the day, the recordings that um, uh, that have my voice on them really just express the concern that we have about a very hasty and rushed process. Uh, I do not know any leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention who are not very serious about the sex abuse issue, but what was happening there was a very private discussion just talking about the different processes and procedures that we should use to address it.
0: Yeah, that was my my take, Um, because I I think that you're right. I don't know of a single... uh, I would, I would go beyond Baptist leader. I would go on to, to any Christian leader who would not be uh, in support of exposing and preventing and addressing issues of, uh, of sexual abuse. But process does matter uh, because you don't want uh, grandstanding, which I think some in this process— Uh, have been doing. Uh, Let me get on to this issue of the critical race theory, because I think this is important. This is an issue that has been kind of stirring uh, in church circles, including Southern Baptists. Is it going to be an issue next week?
7: It absolutely is, and the resolution that I was the principal author of, started out with about 50 announced submitters, and we're going to end up with around 14 to 1,500 who have officially signed on through the proper processes to be a submitter of that resolution. And really what we're trying to do is correct a very egregious statement that was made in uh, what is now known infamously as Resolution 9 at the SBC two years ago that said that critical race theory could be helpful analytical tools. And we just want to clear the record and uh, be very clear what Southern Baptist, believe about CRT and intersectionality, that it is absolutely inconsistent with the Word of God. And, Tony, I would just also add that uh, all over the country this is a concern for Southern Baptists because critical race theory is not a tool of unity. It is a weapon of division, and it is dividing Southern Baptists at a time that we really have uh, uh, decrease in so many of our metrics and the statistics that we have in terms of our gospel impact in America and around the world. But CRT is having a divisive influence, even on the Southern Baptist Convention.
0: In fact, uh, your seminary presidents have come out uh, with a statement a few months, a couple of months ago, uh, all opposed to critical race theory, saying it uh, basically the same message, incompatible uh, with the teaching of the Southern Baptists. But l- let me get to the uh, to, to the underlying issue, uh, because there there is a division. There's a, there's still a. Uh, somewhat of, of of tension between the races even more so over the last year. So saying critical race theory is a bad idea does not, in the same breath, say that we can't bring the races together. What you're saying is it's actually what's keeping us apart.
7: That's exactly right. Tony, uh, you well know that going back to 1995 on the 150th anniversary of the Southern Baptist Convention's founding, we formally and officially passed a resolution repenting of some of the uh, issues that led to the founding of the SBC, slavery and things of that nature. And we have been making tremendous progress on the issue of reconciliation between the ethnicities. The Southern Baptist Convention is growing more and more ethnically diverse each and every year, not only in our congregations, as far as the individual members, but the uh, committee leaders that we would have serving in various Southern Baptist uh, positions. We were seeing tremendous progress on this issue when Southern Baptists were using nothing but the Word of God led by the Spirit of God. But when we try to use these unbiblical philosophies and ideologies like critical race theory and intersectionality, they do what they were, I believe, designed to do, and that is they divide. So we're seeing regression and not continued progress on the area of ethnic Uh, reconciliation. And that's why I'm opposed to it because racism is a real issue and we should fight it as we should be opposed to all other forms of sin.
0: Uh, Dr. Stone, I think you're absolutely right. In fact, I would, uh, I would submit that as America was actually making progress, I mean, we had the first African-American president of the United States, members of Congress in the Senate, uh, leadership positions in business. Maybe that's why we're seeing critical race theory. There was
7: too much unity in the nation for some on the left who benefit from division. That's absolutely right, and you see that across the board in the American culture. I've been convinced for many years that there are a lot of people that it is their job to foster yeah. and then finance uh, ethnic tension in the country. And when they begin to see progress, among other things, maybe they fear they're going to be out of a job, yeah. and so they do something that will stir it up.
0: we got to leave it right there. We're out of time. Dr. Stone, good to talk with you. Folks, stick with us. We're coming back after the-
8: Get a trusted perspective on the news of the day every day. Listen to Washington Watch with Tony Perkins to get honest and in-depth commentary on what's going on in our nation's capital and around the world. Join Family Research Council President Tony Perkins live every weekday by tuning into Washington Watch on the American Family Radio Network. Spot Radio, the KTLW Radio Network, and independent Christian radio stations across the country. Or listen to the show when it works for you by visiting TonyPerkins.com.
6: Since the Supreme Court decided Roe v. Wade in 1973, over 60 million people are now missing from our country due to legalized abortion. Public opinion, our knowledge of law, and scientific advancements demonstrate that Roe should by no means be considered settled law. Roe is an abomination in our country's history. And it's time for the horrendous practice of legalized abortion to end. To learn more about the legal, historical, and cultural reasons to overturn Roe v. Wade, go to FRC.org Roe.
9: The Equality Act sounds like good legislation and something that ought to have bipartisan support, but it doesn't. Why? Because the Equality Act, paradoxically, would spur inequality. It is Trojan horse legislation that would hinder equality and would massively overhaul our federal civil rights framework. The stated purpose of the bill is to prohibit discrimination on the basis of sex, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The real effect of this bill would not be to eliminate discrimination, but to erase the freedom to hold a different opinion. The Equality Act would mandate government-imposed inequality by requiring acceptance of a particular ideology about sexual ethics, while leaving no room for legitimate public debate. Simply put, the Equality Act mandates an anti-life, anti-family, and anti-faith agenda throughout federal law, and would be a disaster for all Americans. To learn more about the inequality of the Equality Act, visit frc.org equalityact equality act. Since June of 2015, over 12,000 Christians
8: have been killed in Nigeria. This violence has reached a point at which experts are warning of a progressive genocide specifically targeting Christians across Africa's largest and most economically powerful nation. Yet this violence often goes unreported in the media and, if reported, is seriously downplayed. To learn more about what is actually taking place in Nigeria, along with other countries where Christians face persecution, visit FRC.org slash Nigeria.
3: Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the biggest abortion supplier in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed 354,871 abortions in fiscal year 2019 up by over 9,000 abortions since 2018. According to these numbers, Planned Parenthood aborted 972 babies every single day. To learn more about what Planned Parenthood is really doing, visit frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts.
0: This is Washington Watch. Website, TonyPerkins.com. By the way, be sure and download the uh, the app, the Stand Firm app. That way you can have Washington Watch in your pocket wherever you go. But more importantly, you'll get our action alerts when you need to take action. And believe me, with the attacks on our freedom that are coming each and every day out of this city here in Washington, D.C., we need you to be engaged. So download the Stand Firm app. All right, yesterday... Um, Dr. Anthony Fauci was on MSNBC uh, with uh, Chuck Todd, and of course, you know, with the revelation of his duplicity in his emails, he now is uh, a lot of people criticizing him, and rightfully so. Uh, I, I want you to hear this uh, this clip. Play clip number three, please. So, if you are trying to you know get at me as a public health official and a scientist. You're really attacking not only Dr. Anthony
1: Fauci, you're attacking science. And anybody that looks at what's going on clearly sees that. You have to be asleep not to see that. That is what's going on. Science and the truth
6: are being attacked.
0: say that I, I detect a little bit of arrogance there to, uh, to question Dr. Fauci is to, uh, you know, question science. Joining me now to, uh, to talk about this, Dr. Angie Ferella. She is a pediatric medical director for America's Frontline Doctors. Dr. Farella, welcome to Washington Watch. Thank
10: you for having me. Uh,
0: so are you attacking Dr. Fauci today and science? Yeah.
10: <laughs> Not at all. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about some of this science, though, because, uh, you know, the, the gloves are coming off, so to speak, because the mask are not uh, lawsuits are now being uh, filed because even Fauci's email said ah, these masks don't really work. Uh, but now we're still running around with them, even after so many Americans are vaccinated. What's going on?
10: Honestly, I don't know. We we feel that we've been attacked all year long if you had a differing opinion of what Dr. Anthony Fauci has come out with. We have been um, silenced. I know I have. And I'm just a small town pediatrician in a small town here in Texas. And so, you know, anything that varies from their narrative is something that they consider, you know, as a vicious attack. And yet they ignore the fact that they've been attacking science from day one, square one. You know, just the whole idea of now where we are a year later, we knew the detrimental effects of wearing masks for children, especially very small children. And we're seeing some of those effects and we're yet going to see effects of that in the next three to five years, I suspect. Um, When it comes to this whole vaccine debacle, which this is not a vaccine, it's it's a biological agent. This is something that is just above and beyond, and now we're attacking our kids. And that's when I took a stand. I'm not putting up with this. I'm sorry.
0: So there's been a lawsuit that has been filed— as i said many of these schools mandating that children wear these masks and 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 parents are pushing actually we're talking yesterday on a a poll survey nationally parents think they're the ones that should decide whether or not children are vaccinated so who should decide whether or not the kids have to run around muzzled with a mask
10: the parents as well i mean honestly the kids really shouldn't be in mask. period in a sentence but if a parent is that anxious you know they have two options. One is I would prefer they keep them at home and teach them at home so that they could be mask-free. Um, but honestly, there's no reason for a child to be a mask because we know that COVID does not affect children. We know that they have a 99.997% survivability of this virus, and it just it doesn't make any sense. For them even from the beginning because we know even from early on with the chinese studies that children acted as a buffer they don't contract this disease nor do they spread this disease so this entire debacle with children and masks has just never made any sense to me at all ever so you know i always worried about the long-term effects of their anxiety and we're seeing it now we're seeing tons of kids coming in with anxiety and depression and it's just uncalled for. You know, they've been bullied in school by adults, telling them to put their mask on or move their mask over their nose and the poor kids can't breathe. And we're seeing issues with breathing problems, skin problems, psych problems, I mean, you name it. And it's all because they've been muzzled for an entire year. Here in Texas, we lifted the mask mandate, thank God. Um, And so hopefully our kids will, will rebound in the better,
0: coming months i I would speaking of lawsuits i'd like to see a class action suit against the government for scaring people to death um you know my 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 daughter is a uh, is er nurse worked with the the covid patients and almost every case the first question that people would ask when they were when they were got a positive test is you know am i going to die Uh, We had people convinced because of all the propaganda out there that this was a death warrant if you got the coronavirus. I had it. I survived. In fact, I want to ask you about this because there is a new study out uh, that that makes very clear or suggests clearly that if you've had the virus, there's no need for you to get the vaccine.
10: Absolutely. We've been touting that forever. I've been talking about that ever since the beginning. We've been saying, you know, if we get the virus, that would be awesome because now we'll have long-term immunity. And that was one of the things that we talked about from day one, square one. We've also been very, very strong at AFLDS to make sure that that message, that if you are recovered from COVID, that you do not need the vaccine. Natural immunity always trumps a vaccine. Always. But Just like in children that have had chickenpox. Right. If they've had chickenpox, we don't give them a varicella vaccine because they're immune. It's done.
0: But but there's actually, there's some evidence that suggests that there's even more to this, that if you have had the COVID-19 virus and you get the the shot, as you said, it's not a vaccine, it's a shot. If you get the shot it can actually have pretty significant adverse health effects for you.
10: Absolutely. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, studies have shown that recovered COVID patients, if they get one of these COVID biological agents, they are two to three times more likely to get very severe adverse event.
0: You have a lot, of course, Texas, you're in Texas, the governor there signing uh, an anti um, uh, pass vaccine passport so that uh, private companies others can't uh, mandate it. But uh, just uh, recently, Houston uh, Houston Hospital forced the medical workers there, the nurses and others, to to get the vaccine or fire them. You were a part of uh, of that when I think like 140 or so people have filed suit against that hospital. Uh, tell us about that
10: yeah that's methodist hospital here in houston has mandating this emergency use authorization experimental biological agent for every one of their employees and their employees have fired back many of them are recovered covid patients the nurses that were working on covid units that contracted covid and have recovered just Some of them actually don't even require the vaccine, but the problem is is they don't even qualify for it yet because they just recovered from COVID. And so they're not supposed to get the vaccine for six months. I've spoke to a few of those nurses and they said, well, we can't even get it yet. But yet there, it's, there was no recourse for them. They said that they were told if you don't get the jab by such and such a date, that was it, you were going on suspension as of Tuesday. And so many of them said, that's fine, that's what we're gonna do if that's our fate. Um, they said they would much rather do that, um, be suspended and potentially fired, um, rather than get what they consider a dangerous jab. They don't want it, they are recovered COVID. Not, the, not only do they not want it, they don't need it. Right. And how can Houston Methodist, who says that they're leading medicine, not understand this very basic immunologic fact?
0: Well, science has kind of gone out the door here. We're all being driven by by fear and some other things here that I think are quite political uh, in nature. Uh, But, Dr. Frella, this, I would think, is probably an indication of things to come, that there's going to be others. First, it's the frontline workers. It's the healthcare workers that are being, you know, you know, First, it was offered to them. Now it's being forced upon them. Um, But who's next and what can be done to protect our rights and our choices?
10: It's not just healthcare workers. It's pilots. It's people that work on the airlines. It's everybody. So this is one of the things that we just don't seem to understand. I mean, it is a problem with our civil liberties. I mean, we are getting attacked. We don't have any options over our own body and what we put into them. This doesn't make any valid sense, especially when you're looking at the survivability under age 20 of 99.997%, and even under the age of 50, it's still in the high 99 percentile. So this really honestly does not make very much sense, and the whole fear mongering has created such a mess, even among families. I mean, when they come here in the office, so many of them are telling me just sad, terrible stories about how the children aren't allowed to see the grandparents because they're not immunized against COVID. And they just don't understand the whole idea that kids actually protect the adults. This has been shown multiple times. They act as a buffer. And it's probably because the children have had multiple colds. And, you know, prior to 2020, coronavirus was just a good old-fashioned cold. So these little kids that are always in daycare in schools and stuff, they catch colds. So up to 50% of our children are already immune. They don't need the vaccine if they're immune. And we're not pre-testing the immunity of anyone. And that makes it even more dangerous. Because there are people that have had either a very light case or right. nearly asymptomatic case.
0: Right. But if I'm not mistaken, I think last year the CDC uh, clarified that these uh, emergency use authorizations, uh, these vaccines that are uh, not yet fully approved by the FDA, cannot be made mandatory. So why is the federal government not protecting the American people in some cases that are being forced to get these vaccines or lose their jobs?
10: I have no idea. Uh, That's a question we've been asking at American Frontline Doctors now for a very long time because we thought that because it was under emergency use authorization that people would have a choice, especially the people that had COVID and recovered they don't need this vaccine it's dangerous for them to have this vaccine we thought the children were going to be protected but apparently that's not the case either we did file a a temporary restraining order in federal court um, to protect children we still haven't heard back yet so that's something that's still on the back burner um the kids don't need this vaccine You know, there's horrible side effects that we've already seen. I have a printout of 75 pages of adverse events from the VAERS data, which is the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System of the CDC for people under 20, 75 pages. And we already have a page of infants. And most of those kids were exposed via their mom who's maybe breastfeeding or something of that nature. This is ridiculous. We shouldn't be giving this to pregnant women. We shouldn't be giving this to children. Frankly, in my opinion, we really shouldn't be giving it to anyone under age 50.
0: Yeah, you've made that point uh, in some of the things I've read. And I, I want to be clear for our, our listeners, our viewers, uh, as I've read through statements you've made in, uh, in your background, you're not anti-vaccination. Uh, You have just made very clear, as you pointed out, it's those who are in high risk categories above 50 that really need it. The rest of us were actually a part of the defense. And uh, we do more harm than good in many cases with getting the vaccine.
10: Mm -hmm. And and don't forget, too, Dr. Fauci still hasn't brought this up. I, I can't wait to hear him talk about early, effective outpatient treatment. There's treatment for COVID, we're, we're burying that, and we don't understand why that is. I've treated hundreds of patients with COVID here in in this area, and I, were treat, I was treating adults because most of the doctor's offices were either refusing to treat them or had their doors closed, and were, they weren't seeing patients. So, you know, over this past year, I've actually expanded my practice into adults, not that I really... Wanted to, it was just something that was a necessity. I'm a physician. I'm not gonna watch people suffer when I know that I can at least give them some treatment. You know, this is what is the hugest fallacy of the entire situation. There's plenty of treatment available and we are not even stressing that. So why do we need this vaccine if there's early effective treatment? And that of course is why The EUA has come under fire because they said that there was no treatment. And that's the only reason why the EUA can even go into effect.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Dr. Farella, we're out of time. Uh, Just one final question. So for those big patients, do they get the lollipop too?
10: We give out stickers.
0: Oh, okay. Stickers. <laughs> All right. We give
10: out stickers and treasure chests and, you know, just to, to let your viewers know, I've given out probably over 10,000 vaccines to children in my 25 years as a pediatrician. I'm a, a huge, I, I want kids to be protected. Yeah. I'm an advocate for children. That's why I came out.
0: All right. Doc, Dr. Frehla, thanks for joining us. Great to talk with you.
10: Thank you so much. Appreciate it.
0: Folks. You need to make your own decisions. I, I, I'm not anti uh, the corona shot. Just need to make an informed, wise decision. Check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources for you. I do have that uh, memo posted uh, from, doc, uh, from uh, Congressman Chip Roy on uh, to the vice president regarding solutions for the border. Until next time. I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you have taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.
5: That's one 372 7234